Hey everybody, this is Brother Frank from the Room to Call. Glad to be here with you. Uh, I just want to start with prayer. We got to get into this immediately. Father, in Jesus' name, I need you right now, Lord, that your message would be clear. That I may speak this, Lord, and not only speak it, Lord, but I may also live it in my own life, Lord, in everything. Lord, forgive me for my own hypocrisy. Or I've said things, Lord, and done differently. Lord, I repent and lay myself before you, believing that you are faithful and just to forgive even someone as undeserving as me. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for the audience that listens to the Remnant Call, Lord, and knowing that you will help to overcome everything that so easily besets which is going on in this world today, the distractions, the lies, the deceptions that are out there, Lord. Please blow the fog of Babylon from our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I want to talk to you tonight about a serious thing in a believer's life. And it's about the dark night of the soul. It's something that people go through in their journey with the Lord. Not only once, sometimes they go through it twice. Uh, They can have it happen in little mini sessions, but I'm talking about definite struggles, uh, a, a point in time where they feel like they have maybe gone almost too far, like Job, they're not hearing from the Lord uh, at that moment, wondering, does God even care anymore? Like King David with Bathsheba in that instance that he had maybe, he, Lord, he had sinned against you and you alone, Lord. And if you remember the instance in Psalm uh, chapter 51, I believe it was, uh, or excuse me, Psalm chapter uh Yes, 51, where David's crying out, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightst be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. And so here David, he's in a crisis of faith because he knows what he's done. This is honest-to-goodness crisis, and there are a lot of people, just like Jeremiah when he was locked up in the prisons, and he's crying out, and he's like, God, you've, you've deceived me, and Lord, I've been deceived. I mean, he's, he's, he, he doesn't know what's going on. He's making accusations against God. I mean, this is a, a prophet of the living God. He's in crisis. You know, he's he's just like Elijah when Elijah in, in First Kings is is crying out, Lord. You know, they've killed your prophet. It's only me standing here, and he he feels like the whole world's against him. There's no hope at all, and God re- has to remind him that there's others like him out there that haven't bowed the knee to Baal yet. But you see these instances in the in the Bible, and folks, they are a reminder of this: that the people in the Bible, just like us. They had the same problems, issues, struggles. But the dark night of the soul is something that needs to be dealt with, folks. It is something you will experience as a believer. 
Uh, now, when you start out in your early walk with the Lord, you know, they, there's always the the honeymoon phase that starts off in the beginning of that walk. And it's usually the um, uh, glorious, the romance stage, just like when you meet that girl for the first time and there's this love and, 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 and a discipleship uh, time where you really want to share and lead people to Christ. And, um, but after a while you can begin to, you know, run into a slump and then you pull out of that slump and then, you know, you kind of get, find out what God's purpose is in your life. And you begin down this journey again of, and, and trying to find out your, what God wants you to do. But then out of nowhere, it seems like you get into this dark, it's almost like phase two of the dark night. And it sometimes can go on for years and years. But let me tell you this, folks. Don't give up. This is nothing new. It's not happening to you. It has. Listen, Job went through a period of time. Can you imagine being in his situation? Boils, blisters. He stinks. He's all over. I mean, his own friends have criticized him. How horrible, how unrighteous he is. All these things he's done. He He's used to having communion with God. And now God is totally silent. He's lost everything in this world. His family has been all killed. His children. And, and, and he, he He's literally in crisis, yet the Bible reveres Job as one of the great of all men of faiths. You know, he's even talked about in Ezekiel, about Daniel and Noah and Job, and how great and amazing their faith was. But the truth was, they were people just like us. They had the same struggles just like us. And and I know there's so many folks, I'm struggling right now. The last couple weeks have been hell for me. Uh, with work, what has gone on there, and I, if you listen to last week's program, uh, Ransomed of God, and, and, and these issues, I tell you, I've been struggling and fighting these things going out there. The wickedness of evil people and what they will try to do to companies, it's horrible in their IT infrastructures and the attacks, and, and, and it's just out of control. And the, you, know, you have the pressures of everything that's going on right there, and you, you know, you're getting paid a certain amount of money, and you have to live up to this, and, and there's so much expectation, and it can start to wear on you and drive you down. And there comes a point where you have to literally hit the floor with your knees. And you have to say, God, I can't do it anymore. Because this is the interesting research of the dark night of the soul. Folks, sometimes the dark night of the soul can go on with some people for many, many years. And and there's a way out of the dark night. Now, you could prolong it if you want, you can prolong that even longer, but there is a, a way out of the dark night. And this is the interesting thing. When a person truly comes out of the dark night, they find that their faith is more secure than ever because there is something that happens to a person when they proceed out of the dark night. And that is because they reach the point of the unconditional love phase. Let me explain that. I don't mean unconditional love from the standpoint of you can live how you want, do how you want. I'm not talking about that cheap grace type of gobbledygook that's preached in these uh, common modern day churches today. But I'm talking about people that understand what it means to truly be forgiven. And sometimes it's hard to understand what you've been forgiven for until you understand 
the absolute um, offense that you have done towards heaven. You see, you can't understand the sickness that God is healing you from or has healed you from if you don't understand the sickness to begin with. And those people who come through that dark night of the soul, they begin to understand what God's love and forgiveness is all about. It was like the woman who was weeping at Jesus' feet and wiping her, his feet with her hair and her tears because those that love, that have been forgiven much, love much. And if you can't understand what you've truly be forgive, been forgiven for, it's so hard to understand the love of God. And folks, sometimes the dark night is prolonged until the person and the believer, I believe, comes to that point where they can truly understand the gravity of God's forgiving, redeeming grace. You see, a lot of people, when they get to this stage of the walk, they begin to see others through God's eyes. They Their behavior becomes their model. Matthew 18, uh, 23 to 35, they they treat people uh, like God would want them. If someone deals with them, they go to that person directly. And when they see that person that's in need, they, they are just like those in Matthew 25. They treat others as if they were serving Jesus directly. You see, those that survive the dark night and come through will begin to understand that God's love and forgiveness is so unbelievable that it's overwhelming and they have to share it with somebody else. And so I want to begin tonight to help us to understand what that means to come out of the dark night. Because sometimes I'm reminded of it when I hit those dark and I have to come back to these basics and I'm telling you, folks, when you can grapple and under, grab, grab a hold of this concept and, and you wrestle it through with God, what is going to happen is going to be unbelievable. It will be the richest, most successful time of your walk with God. And I don't mean riches physical. I'm talking spiritual richness in that final journey of understanding the unconditional love of God. It starts with three words. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He is enough for everything that we need. And because he is, I can be. Because Jesus is enough. Sadly, though, so many struggle. I've struggled at times with the same struggle that many that are listening now are struggling with. I hope we can finally deal with it. I want you to turn in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 22, and I'm going to start in verse 1. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Jesus 
answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his farms, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Then said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as were found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now, I want to pause right there for a moment because I want you to notice what happened. When those that were originally bidden didn't want to come, we know the story of when Jesus was on his earth, the Lord came to his own, he bid them. Then, you know, this is a whole story of coming to his own, going out unto the Gentiles. Uh, trust me, though, it's coming back to his own again. It's coming, happening right now in this, in this world. But this is, you know, the story of what's going on. But what many people don't understand when he sends them to go back out and he says, Go out there into the highways, and as many as you shall find, ask them, bid them to come. So it said, the servants that went out in the highway and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. Did you hear that? Both bad and good. Now, I want you to understand that. Because God said, fine, those of you who don't want to come, that's okay. Because I'm going to go out into the world. I'm going to find anybody who is willing to come. I don't care what the problem is, where they've come from, how long they've been in a messed up situation, how long they've been in the dark night of the soul. It doesn't matter how long they've been in their disaster. If they will come, they can come. I don't want you to forget that because he didn't say go out and find the righteous, go out and find the perfect. He said go out and find both bad and good. But when he came in, this is the interesting thing. When he came in, he found thou hither in having a wedding, excuse me, verse 12. And he saith unto them, friends, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. So he sees a man in there that doesn't have a wedding garment on. Now, I want you to, this is interesting because this is a wedding. You got to have a wedding garment to get on into there, right? This man's obviously fitting into the crowd. Nobody's calling him out at the time. He's walking around. He must look kind of like what's going on, but his robe, his garment is not what the Lord required, but he seems to be blending somewhat into the crowd. Because he got into the actual wedding feast. And now he comes out and says, hey, wait a second. You don't have a garment on. And he was speechless. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because he doesn't see how out of place he truly is. He's blending in enough that he thinks he's okay. But the truth is, he's completely out of place. So he has a garment on. Don't get me wrong. The problem is, he doesn't 
have one on that belongs to the king. He has one on that belongs to him. So it continues on here in verse 13. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Oh, what a deep message is in here. What a whole nother program is in this one little section of the word of God. But the truth was he was trying to get into the kingdom on his own righteousness, his own robe of righteousness. The Lord says, I don't care, both bad and good. I'm calling everybody. But if you think you're getting in, in your own garment, you've got another thing coming. But sadly, so many people have trouble accepting this garment because of a lack of value in who they are in Jesus and an expectation that they must perform either X, Y, or Z. Many struggle to see if this garment can be purchased instead of received. And you might be saying, well, brother, brother Frank, how, I, don't, I would never do that. Well, let, let, me, let me read this first, okay? Acts chapter 8 uh, verse 14, starting. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in thy sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Now, many think that, Brother Frank, now that, that could never be me. I would never try to purchase the Holy Ghost. I would never try to purchase the, ver the gifts of God. But I want you to stop for just a moment, believer. I want you to stop before you jump to any conclusion. You see, when you purchase something, that means the person who ha you have purchased it from now owes you something in return. How many of us keep struggling to be good enough, righteous enough, holy enough, worthy enough? And maybe, just maybe, if we can obtain all these things, then God will truly forgive us and love us and save us. Come on, be truthful. How many people are struggling because they want to be good enough so then that they know that if they're good enough, they can finally be accepted? How many are struggling with that? Most people are not even assured of their own salvation. Can we be honest? Yet the Word of God says this in 1 John 5, 11 to 13. And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life and that life and this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the son of God. So the Bible is very specific. 
You are to know that you have eternal life. Now, folks, I'm not going down the road of cheap grace here. But I'm trying to get us to understand something that God wants us to know and understand that his grace and love and salvation is something that we can stand in faith upon. Yet so many of us cannot accept the forgiveness because we think that we are so unworthy. And yet the word of God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But many are trapped, though, believer, in their sin. And they keep beating themselves up and believing the lies of the devil that they are eternally trapped in this sin and they can never get free from the dark night of the soul because this they are unworthy, they don't deserve it, and this is going to be their life. And they begin to come down in the deep depths of deception and, and, and the depths of hell, and the devil is just beaten down, having a heyday, and God is wondering when they are going to look up and understand that he loves them. The word of God says in John 8, uh, verse 34 to 36, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and whosoever abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Yes, the Bible is very specific. If you are in living in sin and you want to be the servant of sin, that's fine. But if you call upon the name of Jesus and the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And that is the beginning of this understanding that when God sets us free, we are free indeed. And there is a pathway out of the dark night of the soul. And this vicious cycle, though, of a desperate want for freedom, and yet this feeling of such a lack of assurance, leaves believers feeling so empty that many are here in the flesh that are listening to this program in the flesh, but in their spirits, they are miserable. You're tuning into the remnant call, hoping to find a blessing, thinking this is your spiritual growth, but in your heart, you are miserable because you feel like you can never be set free, and God is here to set you free, believer. I'm guaranteeing you that based on the very word of God, God, that that is his mission, because if the Son will set you free, you are free indeed. But the reason we are so miserable is because we get our value so often from people in this world instead of the one who created this world. And God keeps trying to get the message through to us. I love you. I have forgiven you. You are somebody in Jesus. And God is just wondering at what moment in our lives, in your life, and in my life, that we finally throw in the towel and believe Jesus is enough. You see, the keys to holy living is believing the promises of God and then living in the power of those promises. If God says he has redeemed you, then believe it and live in the power of redemption. If God says he's forgiven you, then believe it and live in the power of being forgiven. If God says he loves you, then believe it and live in the power of knowing that you are loved by God. The Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. What God is saying is the reason you can live holy, believer, is because he is holy. And if it's all about him, then holy living has nothing to do with you. But because you believe in God and believe in his promises, his character rubs off on you and you begin to live holy because it is all about him and nothing about us. 
You see, when the prodigal son, as we talked about, came home, he was filthy. He had nothing good to offer his father. He was unholy, disgusted, filthy living with the swine. He was literally as filthy as one could get. Yet when his father saw him, the brokenness of his child, listen to what the Bible says, but the father said unto his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. The son's garments were terrible, but the father says he knows that they're bad, but I don't care. I want you to get him a new robe. I want you to get him some new shoes upon his feet and it's time to rejoice. My son was dead, but now he is alive. God says, I know he was messed up. I know he was in in the world and he was eating with the swines and pig, but he was willing to come home. And when I see that he's willing to come home, I've got a new robe for him. I've got new shoes on his feet. I'm going to put a ring on his finger and I'm going to take care of him. And we're going to celebrate because when God sees one of his children come home, he begins to celebrate. Folks, that's what God is calling us to out of the dark night of the soul. The son's garments were terrible, but his father loved him anyways. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul. Shall ye be joyful in my God? For For he hath clothed me with the garment of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth himself with her jewels. Wow. That's always been God's plan. His robe of righteousness. Old Testament unto the new. God has always had it the exact same way. My question is to you tonight, dear believer, whose garment are you wearing Whose righteousness are you going to present at the judgment seat of God? Is it going to be his robe or is it going to be yours? I'm 47 years old, folks, and I have been through a lot of different trials throughout my time of faith. And before that, I was even, before I came to faith, had plenty of trials, but those were self-inflicted. But when I turned myself around to God, I always had hope because Jesus was with me. And in those darkest hours of life, I began to realize again that God promised to never leave me nor forsake me. And by his grace and mercy alone, I can make it because he is faithful. I want to close with this story. It's one of my favorite stories ever, but it is one that resonates so deeply. The young son had gone to San Francisco. He was out of money, out of friends, out of options. He had hit the bottom and he was at his wit's end. This lost son wrote a letter home to his parents living in the Seattle area. He wrote, Dear Mom and Dad, I have sinned deeply against you. I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against God, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. There is no reason for you to love me or welcome me back home. I am at the bottom of the barrel, and I need to come back home. I hope that you would welcome me. I have been given a ticket for a train, a ticket to get me back to Seattle. The train comes past our farm south of Seattle. The train comes around the bend and right past our farmhouse. If you want me to come home, Please put a white towel on the clothesline. 
out in the backyard near the tracks. I will then know that you want me to come back home. If there's no towel there, I understand. I will understand that it's not right for me to come back home. The young man sent the letter, got on the train, and started heading north. As he came closer and closer to home, he began to get more nervous inside and was pacing up and down the center aisle of the train. As the train got closer and closer to the farmhouse, he couldn't bear it anymore. He was momentarily sitting next to a man, and he said unto him, Sir, around this next corner, this next bend, there's going to be a farmhouse on the left, a white house, the old red barn behind it, a dilapidated fence. There will be a clothesline, sir, in the backyard. Would you do me a favor and look and see if there is... There's a white towel hanging on the clothesline. I know it sounds peculiar, but I can't bear to look. Well, the train came closer and closer to the bin. And this started to go around the bin, and the young man's heart was racing as fast as it could. The man said, look, look, open your eyes, son. The whole clothesline is covered in white towels. The oak trees were covered with white sheets. The barn roof was covered with sheets. The, uh, white, the old dilapidated fence was covered with white sheets. There were sheets everywhere. The father and mother so desperately wanted their son to come back home. Dear folks, God is desiring. He's desperate to reach his family. And he knows you've been stuck in that dark night for so long. And he's calling back. The sheets are out there. The robe of righteousness is ready. And God's saying, take it. You'll never be good enough, but that's okay because my righteousness is enough to cover you. And when God's righteousness covers you, he will take away and do that which you cannot do and give you victory to the things that you cannot have victory in your life because he is faithful and just, and it's all about him, and it's nothing about us. I don't know what it is that's holding you back, but time is too short to wait any longer, believer. The Lord is calling us home. Yes, you've been struggling, but it doesn't matter. It said he went out and he called in both good and bad. The Lord wants you tonight. This is Brother Frank on the Remnant Call saying to everybody, God loves you. Good night and shalom. Trumpet in Zion, sounding on the mountains. Though a trumpet in Zion, for the day of the Lord is come. Though a trumpet in Zion, sounding on the mountains. Though a trumpet in Zion.